On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus is on his way to the Philippines. We have ESPN college football guru Bill Connolly on, and we talk a lot about this week's games where you can maybe find some value. And Rufus and I actually have a fascinating conversation about why some analytic systems might be undervaluing the Philadelphia Eagles. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast, um, a special episode because Rufus is heading to the Falapanos, right? The Falapanos Islands. The fa- Does it start with the F or a PH? You're it's going to the Philippines, right? I am, but Filipino is spelled with an F. Yet Philippines is spelled PH. I don't know the origin of that, but I'm sure there's a very logical reason. Well, I'm sure we should know the origin of that. Yeah, but it's one of those things that can probably be spelled either way, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Phonetically, I mean, look, there's so many golfer names where it's spelled differently on the like Asian tours website than it is in the official world golf rankings. And some tournament has it differently because it's like a translation, you know, especially like Thai names. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of uh, the whole we're, we're going to have Bill Connolly on today and talk a little bit about college football. But before we have him on, I mean, ultimately, like, what do you make of this? like last weekend of college football. I mean, I know, spoiler alert, like I think you were interested in some of these teams that lost quarterbacks thinking that the overreaction to some of these line moves may be a little big, specifically Florida State and uh, SMU, I guess, are the ones we oh, talked you mean, about. Oh, you mean for this week? Going into this yes. week, yeah. Go, going into this coming week, championship week, yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to play them. That's kind of that's still a decision because it's trying to figure out how much these quarterback injuries are worth versus what the market thinks they're worth. And in essence, like I, I don't want to make a bet on how much the quarterback is worth as much. Like, but I I kind of have a general frame of like a ball. I can generally ballpark that stuff a little bit. And I don't want to like let's say I would have been on Florida State anyway if Jordan Travis was healthy. I don't want to not be on them right now because my number seems so far off if that makes any sense at all so it's like ideally i'd like the reason that i'm on one of these teams to be that i liked i would have liked them anyway if the quarterback was healthy i'd be higher than the market on them but i i don't know exactly but there are cases where i mean i don't think any first string quarterback is worth 10 points over a second string quarterback in college football i think you could there was a time in the NFL where you might be able to make that argument that it's close to that. But I think that especially, I mean, the, I don't want to say there's more parity because there isn't parity, but, it, but the drop-off on a lot of the, uh, for a lot of schools, there isn't a huge drop-off necessarily because a lot of these like were really competitive um, quarterback competitions. I mean, like think about Joe Burrow who d- could not win the starting job at Ohio state, never got a chance when had to go to LSU. You have, you have so many of those. So who is it? Florida state's, backup quarterback who looked like garbage um actually was a higher high, was 
a better recruit coming out of high school than Jordan Travis, who was like a Heisman candidate. So do you think it matters the time of year, meaning like later in the year, should the adjustment be larger because the quarterback's been playing with them all season? And like, is, is there a bigger adjustment at this point than there would be earlier in the year? So I, I think it's not a terrible question, yeah. right? No, it's not a terrible question at all. And, and for example, for the That's NFL, what I strive I have, for is to not have terrible questions for the NFL. I have an interaction of like sort of the quarterback out dummy variable with a form of like the part in the season you are like, I think it might be log of week. Um, but that's part of that is to kind of compensate for some stuff related to priors, because it's like, if you think about this, like a team or not priors, like the fact that the, our, our number is a combination of priors and in season. And so if a team put up, you know, these particular numbers with the starting quarterback, now the starting quarterbacks out, like we need to, in essence, adjust the in season numbers down. If that makes sense. But if you don't have any in season numbers yet, then like you don't. Sorry, that's just kind of some like modeling minutiae of, of just because, as I said, like the strength of a team is always a combination of like the priors, which are, you know, recruiting, returning starters, like talent level, how they did in previous years and like how they do in season. And so one, a tough thing actually across sports, Jeff, is to handle injuries and to be like, you know, maybe this team had a quarterback that got a team, I, I think a team once had a quarterback that got suspended because he was deflating footballs illegally. And so that team actually went four and oh without that quarterback, I believe, also. I think I they had a Jimmy Garoppolo of, of and a Jacoby Brissett to. that ended up playing. Um, yeah. but at the same time, when Tom Brady comes back, you can say, Okay, this is how good Tom Brady is in in like my like the his prior gets integrated to the team rating, but we still have how good the, the Patriots at that point did during the current season in those four games without him. And we would expect, given that how much better he is than these other quarterbacks that were playing, that they would have performed at an even higher level. So it's like, that's kind of always the tricky thing. And in general, in making this more broad, like what you want to do is figure out a way to like, in essence, adjust for, you have so many different injuries and in health. And so in essence, like adjust how a team has played to reflect how they would have played with the roster they're going to be playing with now. Sorry for going off on that tangent, but no, I, I mean, think some I think... people will get something out of that, but most people probably won't. So I think, I think one of the things that, um, you know, we talk about with college basketball is how at the tournament, you know, you can almost look at like priors going into. Yeah. And so is and there any analogy? Games. You can do the same thing with bowl games. I was going to say, is there any analogy here going into these championship games, you know, like where, what would your, where, where's the most value? Do you have your numbers on your, like, no, just priors on these teams? I have, I have my no prior numbers in my regular numbers. So, oh, so you don't have, I, any, I, don't, just, I don't have, I don't have a number. Prior numbers. I, I could have an, well, the prior number would be what the number was in like week one, I guess. Although not actually true because the rosters have changed. So the priors in essence the priors aren't just the numbers that were going into the beginning of the season. The priors are the way I do it. The prior is going to change a little bit based on who's on the roster now. So adjusting for injuries, right? Right. Like the prior on Florida state now is going to be worse because they have a worse, they have a less talented offense because they don't have quarterback Jordan Travis. So fewer talented, fewer talented, but, but I mean, so, so the games this week, they're the, the biggest discrepancy between the no prior line and the, 
regular Rufus line is going to be in not a particularly sexy game, um, UNLV Boise State, where I make the the line just based on this season alone, uh, Boise State minus 2.3, whereas it's Boise minus 7.5 when you factor in the prior have you watched rest, UNLV oh, play? And at then all? the other one, and then the other one is Florida State. Like Florida State against Louisville, the Florida State with no prior would only be a, a, a two point spread. But with the prior involved, Florida State's minus seven. So that's basically saying that, and in this case, the reason behind that um, is that Florida State is their prior was, yeah, their, their prior was, well, their no prior number is substantially worse than their number with a prior. So Louisville has actually been pretty close to as good as Florida State. Not quite as good, but but the whole point is Florida State, the prior basically says they're the more talented team. And so we kind of expect talent to win out in the long run. And but that, that's like the, that's like mucked up by the quarterback situation though, right? It is, it is. But but your whole point of like if you have two identical teams that have performed the same exact way in the same metrics, they look exactly the same, but I, I will always take the team that has the the more talented players because it, it means to me that they have one team is overachieved or, and the other team or, and, or the other team has underachieved. Okay. Got so uh, let's bring in Bill Connolly and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in Bill Connolly to the bet the process podcast. Rufus and I were thinking about having someone on that knew something about college football because um, neither of us really do. And so ultimately we wanted to bring one of our most knowledgeable friends in, Bill Connolly. So Bill, <laughs> what is the most surprising thing that you've seen this season? And I and I would let, I know that's like a hard thing to say, but like given analytics, whatever, like what has defied analytics for you? Well, it's been funny. This year we've had two major storylines, I guess, um, until recently, at least. One of them was, you know, nobody looks as dominant. The the top teams aren't as quite as, uh, you know, as good or as dominant as they've been in the past. Is this a parody thing? Blah, blah, blah. The other the main storyline is that all the favorites keep winning. Um, which is completely, you know, the the opposite of the first theme. Uh, but we saw all these all these near misses early in the year, and I think overall SP plus my SP plus ratings in the end probably had about a normal kind of bell curve hierarchy with the top teams. But it felt like this was kind of a rickety almost chaotic year that wasn't quite coming to fruition. And now for the first time, we have four 12 and 0 teams at the end of the regular season. So it's been hard to figure out. It's been kind of a, just a weird, uh, just a weird situation all around, really. What do you, um, I mean, what do you, do you think that now it's just pretty standard? We have like a top four teams and then, you know, like the rest or. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, this was a good year for us to not have the top four. Like, is it did lots of new quarterbacks near the top? Uh, Georgia really was just kind of they were banged up early on and sleepwalking. It felt like this was a type of season where you could have kind of some upstarts, some usurpers, so to speak, uh, to to upset that. And 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 Washington looked like the best team in the country for the first you know four to six weeks of the season, at least. Um, Oregon maybe, but they're, that's kind of their, their borderline usurpers, I guess it's hard to really count them all together. And, and we end up with, you know, in SP plus one, Michigan, two, Georgia, three, Ohio state, uh, Alabama's eighth instead of fourth, but that doesn't really feel like much of a, 
you know, major, major upset either. So yeah, if we still ended up with those top three after a wobbly season, you have to figure if things stabilize next year, then it's going to be the same three all over again. What team has disappointed you most this year? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, I mean, overall it's, it's it's felt like Ohio State and Alabama were more vulnerable this year. I'm not. I don't find that disappointing. I'm ready for some new blood at the top. But um, the fact that Ohio State's third really really speaks to how well their defense improved, but their offense just really isn't trustworthy at all this season, despite all the talent they have. So among top teams, I, I think you know those two um, just haven't quite lived up to expectations. Otherwise, I mean, I, you know, LSU's offense is spectacular. Jaden Daniels has been so much better than I think anybody realized he could be, but the LSU defense has been so poor that they've still lost three games. They lost, I think they averaged like 47 points per game allowed in their three losses. Uh, and that was a massive missed opportunity for them. If they just had a, a solid like top 15-ish kind of defense, they had a lot of wins to, to, to bring in this year and they just couldn't quite do it anything uh, from a macro perspective in terms of the way the the games were played the rule changes anything like that did well, any, transfers anything, yeah <laughs> and how the transfer situation played out because we talked about that in what after yeah. the first week of football <clears throat> Yeah, I think as far as the rule changes first, um, I think right now the average point totals are like 26.1, which is pretty much exactly, I think, how when we were estimating in the offseason, you know, like how much of a drop do we expect? I'm pretty sure I projected. Let's see. What did I project? 25.7. Dang, I I thought I had nailed it. but so it, I, I think score, I guess in that sense, scoring didn't drop off quite as much as it could have based on the, the clock changes and everything. Uh, but as far as the transfers go, yeah, it's still like SP plus has performed really well this year. I'm really, really happy with the the tweaks I made and and the the way I went about trying to identify how to handle transfers and all that. But it, you never really the first month of the season does feel like your footing's not as solid when when the rosters have changed so much. Um, I do thank Colorado though for completely falling apart and therefore kind of proving the projections right for the most part. That was a, a nice touch because um, you know, first two, three weeks of the season, it looked like they were about to cause another massive reassessment of how to project teams in the off season. That didn't really work out that way. I mean, was Colorado simply a case of the teams that they played early on, just not being quite as good as people thought. So it made them look a lot better than yeah. they really were. Yeah, I think they they caught TCU flat-footed first of all. Um, you know, TCU's oh, defense was bad first of all, and then second of all, uh, they didn't. You know, they couldn't scout. They had no idea what Colorado was about to throw at them, and and a whole bunch of guys made a whole bunch of amazing plays. And TCU caught up and looked like they had control, and then it fell apart late. Uh, you th- want to think about how the narrative of the first month of the season changes if TCU just kind of handles its business in that first game. Um, that that would have been pretty big, but in the end. TCU was was iffy and disappointed in that game. And then the rest of it, I mean, Nebraska just didn't have the offense. Their defense was kind of disappointed in that game. But then you know, Colorado State was bad. So I, th- I do think it was just this thing we all talked about uh, the entire offseason. And then the first game was a surprise. The le- second game was less of a surprise. Third game was less. And then after that, it was just, you know, Oregon absolutely walloped them and uh, our suspicions were proven true, but no, it, that was heading into the season. That was the biggest question I had is how accurate can you be trying to project Colorado with 50, whatever new players and so on. And in the end, didn't do all that bad at it. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to think about now Colorado in retrospect, you know, like four weeks in three weeks in these teams, 
kind of are what they are at some level. And, 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 you know, you, you, you tend to overreact to, you know, the, again, the TCU one, I do think we all, you know, and it goes back to the priors on TCU, right. TCU had, was national champion uh, runner up. And the reality was last year, they probably weren't even that great. Right. They were, right. they were definitely not a, so we all sort of overreact to a lot of these things. And it's really hard. I mean, it's hard when you have that many new players coming in and not that much time to practice and sort of <laughs> gel as a team. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so, it was actually reassuring to me that you can't add 40 guys or whatever after spring practice and have a really good team like that. That would have really thrown. I, I think that was reassuring to a lot of coaches too, who talk about culture and, you know, cohesiveness and all these things. Uh, the fact that, it was so much change, you know, it was so much change after spring ball. And then when you just looked at, especially the offensive line, when you looked at who he brought in on the offensive line, there just wasn't, you know, he's bringing in Liberty backups and stuff. And, and it just felt like so much extra work to not really make yourself more talented outside of about three positions. Um, and, and, and yeah, like the fact that I had them projected 88, they're currently 83rd. Uh, I think they got into the, like, the, I don't know, the sixties or seventies or at their peak. And then just, became what they were supposed to be. And um, I, I do think that, that I, I, you know, we're not going to necessarily see coaches try what he tried in April and May last year. It's interesting how, how we all kind of are like, well, no, don't trust our ratings because, because, you know, this team is such an outlier and yet yeah. our ratings, like if you would bet Colorado, if you'd bet the Colorado games, just based on your ratings, you probably would have done pretty well. Yeah. I mean, poorly at first, I think the first two games it obviously missed pretty badly, but then after that, yeah, they, they, they settled in and, and it really does. I mean, what we've seen with the, the teams that have loaded up heavily in the transfer portal, that, that hasn't given them good lines among other things. I think there are just so many bodies you have to have, especially on the offensive line. It takes years to build that. And, and it doesn't, you know, the USC and, and even like Ole Miss uh, that had a pretty good team to begin with, those teams have loaded up on transfers and it hasn't fixed them in their trenches necessarily. No. And I think with the, in the trenches, I mean, we don't have a lot of ways of measuring, um, offensive linemen, at least in the sort of basic data, not without the yeah. um, player tracking data, but like, I think the cohesiveness is a big part, as you said, and just yeah. working together in teams that have, I mean, I feel <laughs> like if you, if you, right. It, it's, it's, it is a, it's, it's a unit, not a bunch of individuals. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's half the offense. That's the part I always remind myself of is the most important part. I would say right, outside it's 45% of, right? of your offensive lineup and, and they don't ever touch the ball unless something weird happened. And it's, it's tricky. And apparently you can't just go in and say, I'll take him, him and him in the portal and everything's fine. So what do you do? You, do you, will you make any adjustments next year based on what you've seen in terms of the transfer work? Um, I'll probably go through the same process I went through last year where, you know, where you just kind of, you go back and you retrofit like, you know, what would have produced the best results last year? And you kind of look at it and and that that's what I used. That's what I did last year with just the one year of super, super transfer data, just to kind of see like what would have done it? What do I feel comfortable cha changing based on that? And now with the second year and a broader range of, of, you know, last year, I think the most transfers was like 22 or something like that. Now we got a 50 in there and a couple 30s and 40s and we'll just have a little more of a range to work with. And, I, and I'll, I'll be able to it has felt like just you know duct tape for a couple of years here you're just you know patching this and patching that and trying to figure out exactly what you feel comfortable changing and any extra data you can have will make that a little more sound there is a concern there the overfitting to these sort of outliers right oh yeah yeah i mean i feel like almost 
go with something like maybe log of transfers might be a better <laughs> fit just because yeah. or at least you're not going to be as fragile to the outlier effect outliers yeah. oh yeah yeah no that's it always comes back to what the change is you're comfortable making i like yeah. doing that kind of retrofitting process just to see and then i'll go like 10 percent of the way in that direction just because more than that and it doesn't feel right that's smart i mean you're you're, you're like me you're hack bayesian right <laughs> oh yeah like, yeah no I, I get this fit and i'm like you know what we got to regress this back to yeah yeah no yeah. I, that's that's extremely it i i'm always tinkering i'm always tweaking but i don't usually commit to most of the changes i play with making and and i mean it's worked pretty well so far well i think i mean part of what you're able to do is integrate your dom domain knowledge into this in a way that and so your your sort of regression to the your, your shrinkage your regression to the mean for whatever the effect is is, is informed by your knowledge of college football and and rule changes in the past and all that stuff like that yeah no yeah yeah i mean i've played around with aussie rules numbers uh just to kind of see because it's a, a fun sport that i watch in the summer and uh i would not feel like if i ever get that up if i ever get afl sp plus up and running i would not feel nearly as comfortable about making changes to that because i like the game but i don't know the rules nearly as well okay so let's go into this week um obviously we've got some big games in front of us you know, an interesting one to me, and we can talk specifically about the games and then maybe the macro of the college football playoffs and who should be going, but Oregon, a nine and a half point favorite on a neutral, right? Against Washington, they were what, three point favorites in Washington? Is that right? Two and a half point favorites? Um, I was just, I was anticipating what week was I was that? to look it up while you were talking. What uh, week was that? I think it was question. week Six or seven, if I remember right. Let's see. my old doc. Wait, wait, wait. Were they under? Like, God, my brain is just fried now. <clears throat> or were they? I know SP Plus had them at two. Uh, had it Washington by two because I really liked that pick. No, no, they um, were on, they were underdogs, right? They were they were uh, two and a half. They that moved between two and a half to three, three. Yeah, Washington was yeah. a three point favorite. Remember, and everyone was waiting for it to go to three and a half. Mm, so yeah, how, how yeah. do we get such a big line move to an undefeated team? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, oh, wow. basically it's just been definitive that since then, like Oregon has, since the moment that game ended, Oregon has been a much, 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 much better football team. Um, like, so the last six games I've had Washington underachieving against my projections by eight points per game. Uh, the offense underachieved pretty significantly three times. The defense underachieved three times. But then you look at Oregon, they've just been they've been on a mission. They were the, probably the better team or very close to it beforehand. But since then, they've overachieved projections by nine points a game and the offense by four, the defense by five. They've just been a really, really sound team. They, they, they kind of messed around on offense a couple of times, but for the most part, they've just been awesome. And, and Washington... You know, sometimes you just you're a complete picture right out of the gate and you just start to, you know, fall apart slowly over time. And it just feels like they've degraded a little bit. But they're undefeated. Yep. <laughs> We're talking about the big <laughs> like every time I hear people talk about Washington, I literally have to go look at their record to remember if they lost a game that I don't remember, you know, <laughs> and it's funny, even when we started this conversation, it's insane that like all of us were like scrambling to remember who was even favored in that game because the yep. notion that Washington was favored now seems <laughs> almost crazy, right? I, I made it. I made it Oregon minus zero point zero three. So I had it as a true pick. And Bill, according to your rankings in my home field, I had you having Washington minus one point six back then. What's funny is my no prior number at that point was Washington minus three point three. 
Yeah. And so, but, and then this now this week, Oregon, Washington, my number is Oregon minus 11 and a half and no prior is actually Oregon minus 13. So it's even like, so it's, it's been a pretty big, as you said, Bill, it's been a pretty big move since then. Yeah. And and you just look at, um, you know, I have my post game win expectancy that I look at, like I'll take all the main stats from the game. And it's like to say, just toss it up in the air. And basically it'll say you with these stats, you should have won this game X percent of the time. Washington was based on the predictive stuff, right? Based on the predictive success rates and and things like that. Um, And earlier in the year, I mean, they weren't playing amazing opponents, obviously, but even against like Arizona in week five, um, their, their post-game win expectancy was between 90 and then 100% each of the first five games. Against Oregon, it was 78%, uh, which surprises me a little. And 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 they were still in the 80s and 90s for a couple of weeks, but then USC, Utah, and Oregon State back-to-back, 55%, 49%, and 53%. So basically, they got they went 3-0 and in those games. They should have gone 1-2 and two or 2-1. Two and one. Um, and so SP Plus just kind of sees them as a one or two loss team now, even though even though they're not. Um, that Those were getting through those toss-ups was a lot. Can I ask, are those numbers, the the, the 55% is how they <laughs> their win expectancy against the team they played? It's not neutralizing. It's not saying they would have beaten an average team 55% of the time with that. It's, right. it's they would have beat this team they played. Okay. Correct. Cool. So then it looks at, you know, like the, the USC, the adjusted scoring, mar- they, they won by 10, but the adjusted scoring margin was one. So it kind of treats it as a one point win as opposed to a 10 point win. That makes um, sense. And and Utah was minus 0.3. Oregon was points plus 0.6. They were just straight toss ups and they managed to go three and zero in them. Yeah, I mean, they're like TCU last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And TCU, by the way, um, I mean, they've obviously fallen. They've fallen in the rankings a good amount, Uh but the biggest difference for them, they were basically like two wins worse this year than last year, except last year they won all the close games. This year they lost all the close games, um, and that made a a spectacular difference. So, yeah, Washington's kind of like a 10-2 and team that's on a really nice run, and then, you know, next year they might lose those close games instead. So do we think Oregon wins they're in regardless and if Washington loses, they're out regardless. Uh, I think oh, sorry. so. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure. I'm obviously kind of the suspense. The one unknown heading into the college football playoff rankings tomorrow is just that, um, or tomorrow today, whenever this runs, um, Tuesday night. Uh, the the biggest suspense is we don't quite know what they're going to do with Ohio State. Uh, you know, they could. I mean, they they had Ohio State number one until just a couple of weeks ago, and so they like Ohio State's resume a decent amount. I think they were punishing. They had Ohio State number one. I think they were punishing Georgia and Michigan for having weak schedules because as soon as Georgia started playing better teams, they went to number one. But do, does that mean they only? they fall to right ahead of like to the top of the one loss pile, or do they fall below Oregon? Shouldn't matter. Cause if Oregon beats Washington, they'll have that huge win that gets them in regardless. But that would be the one thing if they're um, what fifth after this week, if, if Ohio state's still fifth, then they'll at least have a chance. If Oregon, you know, looks really super rickety and wins by one or something, maybe they, I, I don't know. I would assume Oregon still gets in if they win, but that that's the one thing that could make me question that. And we think wash, I mean, there's no way Washington doesn't get in if they win just because they're undefeated. Right. And, right. and especially with everybody paying attention to Florida state with the injuries that Florida state's the team that every people are going to reevaluate if Washington yeah. wins, they're definitely in. But if, if Florida state wins, how do you not let them in? I mean, you do it's, you, in, you, in any they, other sport. In. In any yeah. other sport, like where, you know, a team, lo- I mean, think about the 49ers last year. They lose like all their quarterbacks. Right. They didn't get 
booted out of the playoffs and another team was allowed to, <laughs> you, sub- you realize team was allowed to substitute. You realize it's a I know, that's, that's my that's point, the, though. The beauty um, contest nature of college football is the thing yes. people, and, and, and college basketball is the thing that people take issue with. So can we just you quickly... Can't, I don't think you can, you can't let... An, I mean, an undefeated Power 5 team... Yeah, like, they're in. They're I, I feel in. like they have... Like, otherwise... I think you just open up such a can of worms. Okay. Well, like, so let's, let's, yeah. let's okay. just do this out. All right. So <laughs> yeah. let's, assume game by that, game? let's assume that chalk holds, right? Mm-hmm. So Texas wins. So Texas wins. Are we going to say Georgia wins? Michigan wins. Georgia wins. The Georgia one is obviously the one that we can play around with after the fact, but let's just take chalk Florida holds State? right now. So Florida state. Yeah. Okay. So assuming chalk holds, mm-hmm. who goes? Obviously Michigan. Yeah. Obviously Georgia. Yep. And then you're saying Florida State for sure, mm-hmm. and then who gets that four spot? Michigan, uh, or I, I would assume Oregon. I would assume Oregon gets. Uh, if we're assume, so, when we say chalk, are we saying the unbeaten Washington wins or the favorite Oregon wins? The favorite. I'm saying okay, the favorite. favorite. Yeah. All right. Because um, yeah. So then in that case, I would assume again, unless the committee still loves Ohio State, um, then I'm assuming. Oregon gets in in that scenario. They have the because if we're really treating that as a, you know, they're basically unbeaten against everybody else, and whoever wins this game between Oregon and Washington is is I think that's easily the top four. If if chalk holds as it has for a good healthy percentage of this year, then this is the easiest playoff pairing we've seen. Um, But then wait, but then Texas gets excluded. Yes, one one loss Texas. You have have three unbeat Alabama and and one. Sorry. No, yeah, I mean, it, in, if chalk holds, you have three unbeaten teams and an Oregon team that just beat the team that beat them, uh, and and handed Washington. Yeah, and Oregon's loss. a better team, and and I mean, Oregon's a better team. Um, so yeah, if if that all plays out, then that's easy. Uh, it, what's funny yeah. is though, Texas, I think, in a strange way, kind of. So, so I went on I went on fine bomb last week. And of course we, we got to talking about the scenario where Alabama beats Georgia. Alabama can't be left out, you know, that kind of stuff. If if Alabama beats Georgia, has this humongous win and jumps up the and potentially jumps up the board, I, I think Texas protects Florida State because Texas, the way the, com- the committee treats these head-to-head games in these cir- circumstances, Texas will have to be above Alabama. And so Florida State, even if they look like garbage and they beat Louisville by one and the committee's tempted to drop them, they couldn't drop them below Alabama because Texas is in the way. So I think it, it's it's kind of a funny barrier. Um, but overall, I do think like it's going to take a lot for super, super chaos to break out with in terms of wild movement at the last second. So it feels like chaos to me regardless here. Just, I mean, given the fact that when you look at how good, like, like, like my numbers on Florida State, my power rating for them, I have them as, like, this is not factoring in the Jordan Travis injury right. too. Yeah. Um. I I have them still three and a half points worse than Texas on a neutral. And, oh really? And a full ten point one points worse than Georgia. So I mean, they're like they're one two three four. They're like twelfth. Okay. They're right. They're, they're sandwiched between Notre Dame and Tennessee. Like, whereas Texas is sixth. So, yeah. And Oregon is fourth. Yeah, I have that. That's funny. I have Oregon fourth and Texas seventh. But FS, if they finally, my numbers finally started liking FSU last week. They've jumped from like, they they jumped to fifth last week and then they fell back to sixth this week after their offense kind of stuttered against Florida there. But it is, 
I mean, they're, right. If we're talking about best teams, the thing about this whole debate is that we, they always say we're picking the best teams. They never pick the best teams. They're no. always picking the most deserving teams. No matter what they say, they're always picking the deserving teams. And for that reason alone, I think 13 and 0 power conference champion will always get in in this scenario. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't run like in previous years, I would run this like committee simulator thing with looking at um, the strength of record and all that stuff, strength of schedule. Yeah. I'm kind of curious where Florida state would end up on that right now. Well, it's because you have to, since you have to manually punish Florida state because of the quarterback situation, they look fine. I I basically, one of the things I do each Sunday um, is just out of pure curiosity. uh, You know, I I came up with a BCS ish kind of formula last year where you combine poll averages with what I just, you know, for, for, you know, company synchronicity, I use SP plus and resume SP plus then FPI and strength of record, just a two bests and two most deservings, mash them together computer wise, mash that together with polls. And you basically have Florida state fourth right now. So question do is yeah. your best, is that no prior or with the prior included? It's I almost feel like you should included. go no prior I've, on that, right? Yeah. I, I do use prior for that. I, I was tempted. I couldn't decide the philosophy, which way was the best way to go. But I, it's, it's, I use the prior just the pure, the pr- pure predictive number uh, since yeah. I assume FPI has that too. Yeah. So two, yeah. two qualities, two resumes and the poll averages and you mash them all together and you get Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, Florida state four right now, then Oregon fifth, Ohio state sixth, the head of Texas and then Texas and Alabama. Okay. So this Florida state game, Right now, I'm showing a line of Florida State minus two and a half, total of 49. Ooh, um, acor- according to your numbers, without factoring in the Florida State injury situation, you make it uh, minus 12.37, I believe. Uh, 13. 13 is where 13. I right okay. Now. So I have for- it as 12. Yeah. And my numbers make it Florida State minus seven. The question is, how much is that injury actually worth? Yeah, well, that's and since we we only have the one game, they underachieved my projections by seven points last week. Uh, it was one game, so I'm not going to overreact to that. But it kind of fits at that point. If you subtract seven, you get down to that five six range, just slightly ahead of where the line opened. Sounds like a lot of people are betting on Louisville, or the right people are betting on Louisville. But um, that is. Louisville is such a maddening team to figure out. They're so especially early in the year, they were so big play oriented and, and a couple of games, those big plays just didn't come a couple of games. They, they, they like, what was it? Uh, Boston college. They had all these like 40, 60, 80 yard gains. Uh, teams like that are volatile by nature. I think they smoothed out a little bit over the course of the season, but they are really untrustworthy in terms of making reliable predictions uh, for Louisville games. Then you throw in Florida state uh, and their injury. And that just, it, it's kind of a mess. I, I would not be touching that game at all. I think Florida state easily has the, the trench advantages still um, good pass rush. They have a lot, they have a lot to offer, but Louisville's got all these explosive guys who can, who can break one. But I mean, I can't I can't imagine that Jordan Travis is worth 10 points over um what's his name Roadmaker or t- yeah Roadmaker Roadmaker yeah Ro- yeah <laughs> Tate. In, the, in the first half in the first half you could have convinced me against Florida in the first half of that game you could have convinced me he was worth 20 points but um <laughs> he, he he definitely rallied they got a good contribution from their run game the other day and yeah no it, it was interesting i mean they were uh, my numbers were like they they were 15th uh, Florida State was 15th after 
after pummeling with Virginia Tech in week six, they were 15th in SP plus, but they they did something about these last few weeks before the injury. They really, really started to buy into FSU even more than the, the books did uh, before the injury. So that was, I don't, I can't just looking at the numbers. I don't really know what caused that. I think their defense grew a little more trustworthy and that helped that. And that'll help them now, I guess, but they are a weird, a weird team and SP plus has reacted weirdly to them all year. Interesting. I'm looking right now, like the, you know, this roadmaker guy actually has, you know, he, he was a higher rated recruit than, than was yeah. Jordan Travis, you know, yeah. but obviously that's from, but he was the high school recruiting class of 2020. So. Um, yeah. 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 No, that was, I mean, he's, it's, it's funny. He, he, every time he started like either filled in off the bench or started a game for an injured Travis, he had to do that. I think once last year, he comes out there and he immediately looks tentative and scared and hesitant and makes some mistakes and and plays things super safe and and you get really worried about Florida State. Then he does fine after for the like the last three quarters of the game. And if that happens on uh, on Saturday, I would assume they still handle Louisville. I just like I said, don't trust Louisville either. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I would say basically, like, there's no way he's worth more than a touchdown over no almost nobody is so and so i would have expected you'd still be like all want want to be all over florida state there just being like because he you know because because it in essence you're still high on florida state you'd still be high on them even with jordan travis well two and a half if it's not if it gets lower than that then yeah i I would start to become an fsu lean at some point in there um i just kind of made the decision even before i saw the line like i'm not touching this one no matter what the the other game, the other quarterback injury game this week is SMU Tulane, which I was like, I, I pulled this up and I was like, is the favorite flipped here? Because I'm showing my number is is um, Southern Methodist minus 4.8. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the books have SMU plus four. And I was like, did it pull, did, did my little scraper pull in the line wrong? <laughs> um, and then I looked up injuries and I was like, oh, SMU quarterback's out. Is that worth 10 points though? No, no, it's not no. worth 10. And is he definitely out or is it uh, still kind of a... I mean, I think a broken leg, it's pretty hard to play. Oh, it's broken. I, okay. I, I, okay. Yeah, missed yeah. it. Missed the broken <laughs> word there. Um, yeah, like SMU's defense, I would say, yeah, I would still lean SMU because their defense has been shockingly good for SMU this year. Like we're used to SMU being an all offense team. Um, but right now uh, they're... F- well, they're eighth in points per drive. They played a very, very easy offensive schedule. So, but they only gave up 28 points to Oklahoma. That's the best offense they've faced. They gave up 21 points to North Texas and North Texas can score. So their defense has really driven a lot of their success. Their tempo makes games high scoring anyway, but um, they, I still would give them a pretty good chance. Tulane's one of those teams that, you know, the teams that, once they start believing they're going to win, no matter what, like kind of the Georgia type situation where they, they understand how to divvy out effort as required. Um, and they had a, a good month there where they were overachieving projects or underachieving projections pretty drastically, but still winning. And now they've had to turn it up the last two weeks and they've, you know, they've turned it up. They allowed 16 points to UTSA who has a good offense. So I, that Tulane, I feel like maybe they're better than my numbers suggest, but on paper, yeah, this is still a pretty heavy uh, lean towards SMU. Well, Tulane's been a little bit interesting, right? Because ultimately they had that like high powered offense mm-hmm. last year with Pratt. Pratt was out at the beginning of the year and their offense just really hasn't gotten to where it was last year. Right. And where we all remember seeing what they did against USC <laughs> in that bowl game. So bowl game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So 
Okay, so if we go back to the national championship picture and we have Georgia losing to Alabama, that's the first <laughs> mayhem that we'll throw out. What just happens some coins. then, essentially? I guess if we go back to the uh, – unless they love Ohio State scenario, that that gives Texas the next opportunity, right? Uh, or Is Georgia you know, out in that case? Well, I don't think – I don't think Georgia's out. I'm not completely sure Washington's out if they lose by one or something. Um, really? I, I guess this depends on magnitudes here. Like, if they get thumped by Alabama, if they lose by three to Alabama, yeah, they probably don't fall far enough for it to matter. Maybe they just fall to fourth. But it's so – it's funny. It's it's We don't know how the committee will react to losses for the top teams this year, at least, because we haven't seen it. And if – let's see. So Michigan wins – Oregon wins. I mean, I think Florida. we feel very confident that Michigan's going to win, right? That's that's, <laughs> yes. what, we, that's what we yes. know. So Michigan think, is yes. in. And yes. I think, and I, I mean, personally, yeah. I think Texas is, I think you can kind of say the same thing about Texas. Not to the same extent, but they're oh, a they they'll win. favorite. Yeah. 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 Well, Oklahoma State um, sucks. Loves Oklahoma State loves the taste of blood in its mouth. They, like, even when they win games, they go down by double digits first. Um, so he, I, my joke in the column Sunday night was just like, they're either going to win outright or lose by 50. Kind of feel more comfortable about the 50 thing right now. Um, but yeah, no, they, I mean, Texas, by all means, if, if both teams bring, you know, their B games, Texas wins pretty comfortably. Yeah. So in this scenario, we've got Michigan and, and Oregon in, we've got Florida State in. And it's basically Georgia versus Ohio State versus Texas versus Alabama for that other spot, um, and, for, and Washington. That is messy. So, but it's quite possible that Al, that Georgia still ends up uh, atop that pack. So you think does, Alabama, does Alabama could win would, and not get in over Georgia? Huh? Alabama, like, I mean, does their win against Auburn count as a full win to the committee? I mean, <laughs> like, could, I, like in essence, they got. I mean, they were so lucky there. Yeah. So um, it's the main gist I got from that game was that New Mexico state should be in the top 10, but um, <laughs> that's no, I, 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 it's a very good question. And I think what we've seen is they do seem to value good wins more than bad performances. Uh, they, they reward you for the wins more than they punish you for poor performances. And I don't expect them to drop or anything. They were already the lowest ranked of those one loss teams. Um I mean, I'd be more than happy if, if my Mizzou jumped ahead of them, but I'm not going to bank on that. So, no, I think they're probably too far back in the line. Now, if if Texas also loses or looks really poor, and if, if um, you know, Washington eliminates Oregon or Oregon just absolutely destroys – like, you can create a scenario where Alabama still gets in. Right? There, I think, as crazy as it sounds, they could beat Georgia. They'll still need a good amount of help because they'll still have at least probably two, I guess – teams to jump to get into the top four that's so crazy <laughs> to think that alabama could so do you think that i mean i think everyone believes the sec was down a bit this year right mm -hmm. do people fundamentally do you think the committee believes that uh, well i it's I'm, I'm that's a good question i mean like in in terms of average sp plus ratings sec still number one because they don't have as many terrible teams so just average rating they're still way, quite a bit higher than everybody else but everybody like that their average rating is plus 9.9 .9. that doesn't always rank first by any means uh the problem is that like big 10 second at 5.4 like they have one division they have like four teams out of 14 and they're still second because the pack 12, a lot of those teams faded late. So I don't know where, where the committee stands just in terms of perceptions right now, the pack 12 won so many 
plaudits early in the year and, and deservedly so, but so many of those teams faded down the stretch that I don't know how the committee views any of these conferences, much less the SEC right now. Having Missouri as the top-ranked two-loss team probably helps. Ole Miss is up there with two losses, and Alabama beat them. So, they're, they're, I mean, the resume is not terrible by any means. They're they're top 10 in strength of schedule, in my strength of schedule ratings. But, yeah, I, I think enough has happened this year in terms of Pac-12 producing two potentially playoff-worthy teams, Big Ten still having Michigan and Ohio State, uh, Texas being rock solid playoff level or very close to it. I think it's just a more crowded field at the top this year. And Alabama doesn't necessarily get the benefits that they would in previous years if they pull the upset, which I don't think they'll do, but you know, if they do. This is crazy. It's crazy to think about that. This idea that like Alabama could win that game and not go. And it's definitely hard for me to believe still, I, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, hopefully we won't find out because go dogs but um crazy Crazy. well and like i said i do think texas like the committee the thing that has driven me crazy about the committee even though i don't really mind texas being ahead of them their insistence on head-to-head mattering if two teams are anywhere close um i you know people value head-to-head so much more than i do i think on average but you know the what we saw that a couple years ago where oregon beat ohio state and then basically looked like garbage from that point forward but the committee insisted on putting oregon ahead of ohio state no matter what even well, though oregon like, ohio state was like at the beginning of the season too right it was week, it's like this like was two or yeah whatever. yeah like and and if they had played on a neutral field later in the year ohio state would have been favored by like 17 or something but they insisted on putting oregon ahead of them until they lost again and oregon um, was was oregon at home in that when they beat them too no, that, it wasn't Columbus. It was a, okay. it was a good yeah. win. It was just they never looked like that team again the rest of the year. They lost to Stanford a few weeks later and flirted with a lot of other losses. And eventually it took care of itself because they lost. But in this case, I do think Texas having one loss as well really screws Alabama because however they lay this out, they'll insist on putting Texas ahead of Alabama. And that'll pro- even in a weird scenario that might keep them out of the top four. All right. Rufus has got to go. I got one last question and we, we should all do this <laughs> on Saturday night at midnight. Okay. Actually, when did they do this show? They do it on Sunday. They, yeah. Sunday at noonish Sunday at noonish. Who are the four teams playing in the playoffs? I am. There's been so much chalk this year, even if it's been wobbly chalk, it's been chalk. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to assume that. So I'm going to say Georgia one, Michigan two, what would that be? I don't know. Florida state would still be three, but we'll say Florida state three, Oregon four. Rufus. Jeff. (laughs) Uh, I will say, I will say the same thing. Yeah. I think I'm going to say the same thing. (laughs) I'm going to say the same thing. I guess I, mean, I, I think, that's, Texas I, I think that's the most likely. That That's what I would say is the most likely as well. Yeah, but, it's kind of boring to think about. It is but, boring. But given that you two said that, then I feel like I would say something different. Okay, so just, what, who who crashes? <laughs> like, then let's just say who crashes. Who's most likely to crash that party? I mean, the if, if or, well, if Wash, I think Washington is most likely to crash yeah. that party. Yeah. Washington, because, yeah. so, Yeah. Just insert Washington for Oregon. That's a relatively simple one. I, I'm trying to think. Like I, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like if we just flip those two, but outside of that, I would still think that Texas has a lot to root for here because Florida State really is. I, I do think they're still better than Louisville, but not nearly as trustworthy in that. And therefore, 
one upset in that regard on, I think that's on Saturday night, uh, would put Texas in a pretty good position if they don't mess around against Oklahoma State. I agree, Bill. Actually, I think that is way, way more likely than than Oregon. I mean, Florida State losing is much more likely than Oregon losing. So, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. All right, Bill. Thanks for joining us. As always, thanks for giving us some knowledge and uh, happy, uh, happy bowl season. Absolutely. So that was our interview with Bill Connolly. Fascinating to think about this idea that Alabama, and I know I'm keep harping on this, but the idea that Alabama could win the SEC and still not make the college football playoffs. I, I find that really hard to believe personally. I just don't, I can't see how that happens. But I don't know, man. Like it's it seems pretty chaotic this year. It really does. And Alabama hasn't been the team that they were in previous years, despite the fact that they only have one loss. And actually, if you look at the final scores, it doesn't look like they were it looks like they were a pretty damn good team, but but the numbers don't paint the same picture. They had a lot of close games that didn't seem that didn't end up being close. Oh, okay. So games where the final score is deceptive. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think this Auburn. I I wasn't. What's an example of that? Like in the Auburn. I think Alabama LSU. Alabama LSU. I mean, Alabama won by fourteen, but that game was tied at the half. Um, Oh, Tennessee. That's another one. They were down twenty to seven at halftime, and I had Tennessee plus like thirteen or ten and a half or eleven or whatever it was. And I mean, I I didn't even. I remember looking the next day and being like, "Wait, that bet didn't win." Yeah. So they only beat Auburn by three this last weekend and I thought it was actually more than that, but they were okay. They were down at halftime by one to Ole Miss. Oh, no, no. They did, did the last, this last touchdown that they scored. So they scored two touchdowns. One was a pick six at the end. So action network app. Cause I thought it was 33, 24 was the final score. And so that must've been, yeah. But again, like it was, they were losing until 30 seconds left to go or whatever. That's when yeah. they scored the go-ahead touchdown. And on like a fourth and 30 play. I still haven't seen it yet. But look, they they were tied with USF, South Florida at halftime. Oh, yeah, I remember that. They game. were down to Mississippi at halftime. They were down a lot to Tennessee at halftime. Like they were down 21 to 10 to AM at halftime. I guess you like, put a different if, you put a different name on the front of their jerseys and it feels different. Yeah. I mean, they were and I mean, and then obviously against Auburn. Um, well, they were up at halftime, but like they were down in the fourth quarter. So it's not your father's Alabama. You can't say grandfather's cause that, but let's, um, I mean, we were used to Alabama not being really tested much during the regular season. Let's switch gears to, uh, the professionals or I guess okay. everyone's a professional, but, uh, can we get an NIL deal, Jeff? <laughs> kind we of fascinating should... that we have. The Niners versus the Eagles in Philadelphia. Eagles are 10 and one. San Francisco's eight and three. And the Niners are favored by two and a half. What do you make of that, Rufus? San Francisco's the better team. You think so? You think that line's think so. right? I don't know. I haven't run numbers after after week 12 yet because we're we're recording this on Monday night. So I'm waiting for the Monday night games um, before I run that, or the Monday night game, I should say. But I would have made the line San Francisco minus 0.8 you know before this weekend and I'm not sure how much things changed based on this weekend. Well, I can't imagine the Eagles looked great this week coming out of or, that Buffalo game and the Niners um looked pretty good against against the Seahawks I would assume. 
Yeah. From an okay, analytics so standpoint. But also sure. you the, the Niners have a little bit extra rest too. Do you have that in your line? Because they played um, Thursday. Oh no, I didn't. So so that'll yeah, that'll bump it up. So it seems pretty close. But one thing that's interesting is I th- I think I'm undervaluing Philadelphia. Why is that? And I think it's because of the 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 tush push. The brotherly how you, shove. How do Look, you it's a cheat okay, it's a cheat code for them. They're they're what? They've converted like 40 of 41 fourth and third and ones when they've done that. Is that right? Something mm-hmm. like that. And if I knew a team would convert every single third or fourth and one, my typical method of analysis wouldn't be able, would not account is, is not accounting for that. Right. And so I'm looking at play success and stuff and looking at how predictive that is. But if you have a, this sort of cheat code here where you can convert that, like what I would think to look at would be what the average expected points added from those plays is relative to um, what we'd expect from a team, a team like the Eagles, just based on their play success overall. So let's say they, they're gaining uh, maybe a point and a half a game or something based on this. If that's the case, then I'm probably going to be undervaluing them by that much because I have play success in my model. Um, and it's, but again, it's not looking that specifically at like, oh, third, how are they at third and fourth and one? Because that generally doesn't tend to be as predictive, but again, we have a sort of a unique situation, I would say, where they are doing a play that it seems like they can execute and nobody can stop. And so as long as that continues, I feel like I would assume that I'm probably a point and a half too low in Philadelphia if based on just the ballpark of of how much EPA they're gaining based on those plays. So I think there's exceptions to models. And if you realize that, you can kind of like, that's kind of the art part and being like, okay, I'm going to be a little bit low because I'm not accounting for this in a direct way. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Because it is a highly leveraged play that you would say, you know, people would tend to revert to league average, but there, this is a case where we've seen quite a bit of evidence that they are not league average at this. They are well above league average and the impact that it has on their performance on the results is very large. Yeah. And even if you assume they're not going to continue at maybe the rate that they are, but you know, if, if, but why would you assume that? Like they, this isn't like a fluke. No, I realize it's not a fluke, but and no one's been able to stop. It's not them. a fluke, Jeff. I mean, what I don't understand is why they don't run that like anytime they're inside the five yard line on first down and just get like two yards here and two yards there. Because most of the time when they run it, they get more than a yard. I do think there is, they are running the risk of Jalen Hurts injury. injury. Yeah. yeah I mean, a, I think they got to minimize the amount of times they do that because Hurts is very beat up. And if Hurts is off that team, then, then all bets are off. Or all bets would still be on unless it's one of those like, you know, fan duel things where they let you get a a rebate when someone gets hurt. (laughs) But my point is, even if they don't continue hitting at 90% or whatever, or higher uh, on those plays, like, I don't know what the average is, but if 80% of the alpha they've created on that, like, is actually going to be predictive going forward, that's still, that's that's still like a lot of, of, of value added that, that my model is not accounting for like in a direct way. Got it. Okay. Maybe we give a couple picks and then get you out of here. Yeah, let's do that. <clears throat> I got a pack. Sounds like still. you probably like Philly though, right? Cause it's like, you think your models, cause then you'd have them closer to even or so. I'm not going to give NFL picks just because I haven't run NFL yet. Cause we're recording this on a Monday because I'm heading, I'm about to get on an 18 hour flight. Okay. You're going to give a college pick, which by the way, Jeff, I thought since I'm going to Manila from New York, 
and my flight leaves at 1 a.m., 4.40 a.m. and gets in at like 7.30 a.m. on, you know, two days later, um, I would have thought that it's going to be like dark the whole time, which will be great for sleeping. But it turns out we're not actually starting going west. We're starting going like northeast and just going over the North Pole. So I might actually have to deal with some daylight on on the plane, which is not. You know, you can just shut daylight. the. They always just shut the. Thing. I know. So I, you, you won't. You won't have any idea it's daylight. I know, but I want eighteen hours of black. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of black anyway. Uh, the the pick I'm going to give, I'm not going to give any of the quarterback games we talked about with, with Bill C, Florida State and SMU. I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give the Texas Longhorns, Cade Massey's Texas Longhorns. And by doing that, I'm probably going to ensure they lose. But uh, I make that line um, minus 18 and a half. Whoa. And right now, um, earlier today, it looked like it was uh, it was 14. And I'm going to pull it up right Looks now. Looks like it's going sure. up to 14 and a half. Okay. But, you know, I, I still... I still think still there's like value it. there. I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers plus the six and a half against the Chefs. Uh, I think the Packers are, they've been a team that's, um, I think they found something a little bit offensively. And the Chefs seem to struggle okay. a little bit offensively, but they're good defensively. It's my really, really, really good analysis. So, yeah, the, the Packers um, winning in Detroit was a big win. And, a very costly one for my teasers. All right. So thanks everyone. We'll talk to you guys all again next week. We're going to actually get into some pretty interesting bowl contest stuff next week. So hopefully you guys can all be a part of it. Um, and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Crunching all the numbers in the simulated system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year. They just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the pokies get thinner. Give the information turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah. Sam Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.